We're here at the Comedy Cellar Show here on Sirius XM Channel 99, a comedy channel, and we have filmmaker, director, writer, Brian Koppelman. We're talking about his son and his son's roommate. His son's roommate, Tim, is one of the, the, the five or six greatest polyglots in the world. Is that correct? Well, I don't know. That may be an exaggeration. <laughs> he, he's, 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 he's a famous polyglot. And, and if you even know what that is, you probably know who he is. Yeah. He's, he speaks like 22 languages, including the click language. And he, and, uh, he, has, and he, he learns, first he learns all the words to turn women on, by the way, because he, he's a, he's a, mm-hmm. he does very well. And, uh, and we've tested him. Yeah. yeah. You guys had him on the show. He was fantastic. But uh, Dan was saying that in Roman times, you would have taken him under your wing? No, I believe I said you would have taken him under your wing. <laughs> oh, and, uh, he and was trying to create a relationship between the two of you, sort of and a professor-student uh, relationship uh, with benefits for the professor. Right. And right. it wasn't was, Roman times, but I believe it was the Greeks that, uh, that pioneered that particular form of, uh, of uh, pedagogy. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good word. That's the word. You know, if you would have used that uh, first word, first season of uh, Last Comic Standing, everything would have been different. Yeah. Oh, oh, body ball. Ball. <laughs> Welcome back, Kristen, by the way, from Espana. Uh, Sp- no, what was Kristen doing in Espana? That's. I was out of... You'll have to wait. Go ahead. I no, I just wanted just welcoming her back from Espana. I just, I'm a little jet-lagged, but um, I was at a friend's wedding. A friend who I made in Spain when I lived there. And she's Spanish. She married an American. And so I went for the wedding. Are you fluent? Yeah. So you're you're a polyglot. Uh, you speak multiple languages. Yeah, multiple languages. She speaks uh, English, no, no, and, no, uh, English and, yeah. and Spanish, right? Yes. I speak a little bit of French and a little bit of Italian, but... Yeah, I don't think that qualifies. I, I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule in favor. Yeah? yeah. We'll have to... Go, I mean, I could get by. I, I, I think polyglot has a, a... By definition, has to be an extreme uh, ability with language. Uh, and it, well, it seems she, she might have an extreme ability, even if, uh, if not yet an ex- extreme full knowledge yeah. or command. I'm definitely not clicking. Right, you can't I'm, do I'm the def- clicking. I'm definitely not at that level. Polyglot is, uh, you know, that's like calling me a porn star because I, I took one selfie of me, you know, me and a naked girl. Good, I like that analogy. I think he's right. That was a terrible analogy. It was a great analogy. All right, so we're here with uh, with Brian <laughs> Koppelman, who uh, went to we, we, he went to Tufts with me, although we didn't know each other at Tufts, and right. we were both. Um, were you guys there at the same time? Yes. How did you not know each other? We were both friends with Tracy Chapman, although he was he was responsible for discovering her and making her famous, and I just got to play with her from time to time. Yeah. Wait. Wait. What year did you graduate? Eighty. Uh, Eighty four. Right, yeah, you, we missed each other. I graduated in 88. So we, oh, we, you did? Yeah, oh, we okay. just missed each other. Ah, so uh, Tracy was uh, two years younger than me? Or That's right, because she was two years older than, than, than me. With regard to the song Fast Car, um, I'm not sure if I, if I asked him this question, but how the hell is she going to buy a big house and live in the suburbs working at a convenience store? You waited to you invite me back to the podcast, the two years, emails, and then this that's what, the, that's what, you, that's what we open with? Can I just, can I just list his uh, accomplishments from Wikipedia so people know the, the, the gravitas of the man we're speaking to? Yes. Films, rounders, knock-around guys, interview with, oh, interviews with an assassin, Walking Tall, The Illusionist, Ocean's 13 writer, Lucky Ones producer, Solitary Man, The Girlfriend Experience, Runner on a Television, Street Lawyer, Tilt. Billions and the new Showtime series. Billions. Billions. That yeah. I, I have to confess, I, if it's not on Fox News, I don't see it. Oh my but, God. Uh, um, but, <laughs> look, wow, you, that was like an involuntary <laughs> wince you had there. It was just a joke. I, no, I, I was thinking, I was just thinking about picturing you at home all greased up and watching <laughs> Megyn Kelly. <laughs> no, that's how he watches O'Reilly. Right. Well, no, you first get greased up to watch O'Reilly. And then you can finish when you're watching <laughs> Megyn so, so the wince was at the, at the thought of me, not Fox News? Yeah, it was you and Fox News together. Yeah, that was the <laughs> Megan Kelly does look hot. You seen her short haircut? She looks pretty good. She this looks like uh, uh, she looks like Claire from. Uh, um, uh, Turning. What, what's the the Kevin Spacey? Um, oh, uh, House of Cards. From House of Cards, yeah. So. Uh, oh, it's a good show, though. I gotta say, you should watch the show. It's a big you hit. You should watch it's, uh, Brilliance. It's it's, it's, it's it's on Showtime, the Showtime Network. Yes. Showtime. I hear 10, I hear fantastic 10 PM things about Sunday it. Sunday nights, and yeah, I'm the showrunner with my partner David Levine, and created the show. Showrunner, of course, is a term that to a non-show business person uh, is often unfamiliar. It sounds almost like a superhero. You, I, the well, word showrunner. Do you want, me to, you want me to define it? Well, yes. Yes. Because... Uh, so it, 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 it basically means that uh, Dave and I are responsible for all aspects of the show from um, running the writer's room and writing the, the scripts to casting the show and making the show, hiring everyone to direct it. I mean, it's... Um, you know, we're the people sort of in charge of making the making the show. That sounds awesome. 
Do, do you feel on a daily basis incredibly blessed in this world by like everything that's happened to you since the day you were born? Yeah, the sure. The situation that you were born into? Yeah. For, I, mean, I mean, incredibly. My, it's funny. You were talking about, about these kids uh, who are behind us here, but my son talks about it all the time. The level of, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the level of um, privilege and advantage of just being born. Now, this is women, just being born like a white male with educated parents mm-hmm. in, uh, who weren't struggling for money. That just, for me to not have found a way to live a life that I wanted to live would be a huge defeat, I think. Like, uh, so, yeah, I feel grateful all the time that I had like two parents who stayed together. I had a dad who was successful, but more than that, was like home and focused on his kids. Uh, I had a mom who even, I had uh, really bad ADD and got horrible report cards. And my mom found a way to find books that I would love. And so gave me this confidence. I had the best vocabulary of anybody, even though I wouldn't do well at school. And that was because my mom uh, would tell me that I was uh, smart enough to understand this stuff. But you got into Tufts. Yeah, because I, te- like I, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had done a lot of stuff and I was able to demonstrate in other ways why they would want to have uh, me there. Uh-huh. And, and also by then, like, yeah, you could give me an SAT on the verbal side. I did fine. Well, you know, and I mean, I was, yes, I was, I would always test as a, certainly an intelligent person, but I did badly in school. And your father was a, was I, a I record. I did too, actually. I did your, badly in school. Your father was a record producer, is that it? Yeah, he was a music publisher. Now, here, here's my question, what I'm getting at is, uh, I hear what you're saying, very privileged, um, and very grateful to be privileged, but there's a lot to be said. Also, uh, it seems to me, um, I don't to like com- that word privilege, but go ahead. Well, whatever it is, it, it, there's a lot to be said for, for coming from nothing. People, in fact, people seem to, you know, like to come from nothing. This is why you need to watch possible. Billions because both this. of these yeah. topics have been addressed in the most all right. recent episode. Well, then we're going to address it here. <laughs> no, look, no, well, a lot I, of comics love to say, "Man, I came from this." You know, Duff Davidoff's always flapping his gums about coming from a junkyard. Um, and I think it's exaggerated. Well, at various times in your life, of course, at various times, and look, the point of saying that I had this tremendous privilege, so um, given that I work 18 hours a day, you know, I'm like, I, I never stop. And I, I have I say it was all handed to you on a silver platter. But, but, it, but it was, right? In a sense, Dan, right. despite the fact that I worked this hard, <laughs> it was handed to me on a platter. Again, because I was raised in a situation that set me up to succeed if I was willing to work hard enough. So if I was willing to put in the hours to figure it out, to push myself, how about that I had the luxury to figure out what I cared about? That's something most people don't, don't have. That's a really good I point. I didn't have to work after school in high school. I could, but I didn't have to. I could read, I could go take long walks, I could go think, I didn't have to worry about how I was gonna fill my stomach at night until I was out of college, right? So I had plenty of time to figure out what it was in this world that fired me up. What was I interested in? What did I care about? So that is what allowed me in college to like lead the divestment movement, right? Because I realized, oh, there was... You mean the South Africa? Yeah. There was this, and we talked about it last time, but I was able to look at the world and go, okay, there are these things I'd like to help solve. Then I was able to say, okay, now it's time in my life that I want to figure out what I'm really curious about and what really fires up my imagination. And then I was able to think, uh, well, I really want to be a writer. I had these luxuries because I had uh, 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 training. I could go to, I went to law school at night. I was able to do that because I had a really great education that set me up to be able to do that. I was able to go to tutors to help me figure out if I had a learning disability, how to uh, get over that. So I look at the world and I think like, if I wasn't the kind of person who had managed to put myself in this position, I'd have failed everything that people like Noam, conservatives say America offers everybody. They don't. I they do offer it. They do offer it They do offer to people like me. I'm exactly who they offer it. To. Well, without getting too much into. Well, 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 uh, first of all, no, I think I think well, I just see, he mentioned my name. I'm allowed to respond. Doctor Carson. Doctor Carson. What would you like to say? First of all, I was one who actually said, "Don't you feel blessed in this world?" So it's not fair to yes. say that I think it's 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 offered to everyone. It's exactly the opposite of the point that I actually introduced, which I I think you're right. I would only say that, like, where I went to, I grew up in Ardsley, which is a, a town in Westchester, yeah. where, you know, 98% of the kids I went to high school with could say all the same things about their upbringing that you said. They had parents, they didn't, some of them worked after school, very few of them had to, right. all, all that. Right. And, uh, 
0.01% of them achieved what you achieved. So yes, I agree. No, no, I, I'm, know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm agreeing with that. I'm just saying that I even so fine even for people who have those advantages. Then yes, look, I was really lucky, right? I had, I was talented. That's just luck. I do want to talk to for a second about Noam's situation because I do believe that Noam, uh, Noam, as you know, inherited this club from his father. You know, I've been coming to this club since I was 20 years old, and it kills him. <laughs> it kills him that people don't look at him with the same respect that they looked at his father with. Because his well, father I, started the I, club. Actually, I, I didn't know they didn't look at me with that respect. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this moment. No, no, listen, listen, your father was a great man. My father. No, you were, he was you were, a great man. <laughs> but you always do say, no, you say, I, I exaggerate somewhat, but you have said in the past that you feel that people don't take you as seriously. And you're trying to make a name for yourself by, for example, uh, the Village Underground, the new room that you opened, going to Vegas. A lot of this is your I'm own... trying to make a name for myself. The, your own desire You've to build built a business. I mean, yeah. yeah I, but I, you I still, mean, it's still six in your craw. You've told me so. No, I haven't put it in those words. I mean, if you want, if you want me to speak openly about exact, exactly how I feel, uh, when I got out of school, I took over the room next door and I opened the the, the Wah. And it was first it was the Fiend John, and then we changed the name to the Wah, and the Wah became a huge, huge success, you know. And I made a big mistake with the Wah that I took a name of an old village club, right? The cap, which nobody even remember. when I when I named it the Wah, no one had heard of the Wah. Like people, I had to explain it to everybody. And then it, and it, the concept was nothing like the original Wah. And then it kind of made the original Wah famous again. And then the new owners, after I sold it here, they began to really, which I never really did, they began to really traffic on the, the old. Right. So that now, that accomplishment, and that sticks in my craw, has kind of disappeared. And I was just telling somebody this. It's not that I don't, it's, I really don't care. It's just that I have kids. And I want them to understand that their dad did something and now things are written or whatever it is, and it's not like the, the, the original Cafe Walk closed in 1968. 1968, and I didn't rename it till 1988 when we already had a line to come in. You know, it had nothing right. to do with the name. So that, and then when my father died, I had to choose between sticking with the WA, which was three times the success that the Comedy Cellar was at the time, which was a, a problem between me and my father, and coming here, and I had to come here because we own this building. So that's why I threw, the, you know, otherwise I would have stayed but with the But your kids lot. see you, isn't it? If your kid, the example, like, I mean, what people write about you truly doesn't matter. I've had, I mean, as someone who's had been in the public eye for a long time and had a lot of stuff written about me, I mean, you have to be able to turn that off. Your kids are going to know how you are to them, and they're going to know what they see you do. I know, but I would how also like... How they see you work. I how they see you treat people. You know what kids notice? Who you're nice to. They notice who you're, who you... Help uh, grow. They notice mm -hmm. the way people who work with you look at you. So you're fucked. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, that's, no, that's what they. That is what they notice. I get it, but but I still would like. Like I, I know what my father's accomplishments were, and I and and so so that bothers me. And then I opened the Pussycat. That became a, a huge success. And then I opened the Underground. And that was a big. So I'm not. Uh, and now and now since I've taken over the Comedy Cellar. It's uh, um, tripled in business or something, right? And I know that, that uh, people dismiss my impact on that. And, and actually, that doesn't, doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I, it, I can't say I wish they wouldn't give me more credit for it, but I only, the only time I think about it is when you bring it up. No, no, you brought it up to me. No, but how, how, I don't right, understand how, you can, how your impact can be dismissed. I mean... You are far from a hands-off owner. You're far from a person that kind of lets the business run itself. Uh, you know, the, there's an interesting thing. In the comedy cellar, when you're dealing with comedians, my father was the same way. Just like in The Godfather, you have to have buffers. So I'm less, like, you know, Chris worked for me. Chris was one of the first employees I had in the underground. So she knows how hands-on I was. But here, I kind of like to operate a little bit behind the scenes because I don't want to have to deal with it so like if I don't want to use somebody if I don't think someone's doing well on on the stage. Uh, on stage I really don't want them to know what came from me just because it's less overt does not mean that yeah. the the right. amount of work is less well it I certainly might don't be less obvious I, I certainly don't my, you know with someone whose ear is to the ground with regard to the comedians I don't hear any sentiment that underestimates I mean we don't really discuss it quite honestly but I think if asked most comedians would Norm's done a great job, and it's, it's not, Dan. It's really not on my mind. The, this uh, we're going to this this oral history really bothered me, but that's because it didn't talk about my father. Well, we'll get we'll get to that. Who did it talk me. about? 
uh, talked about everybody but my father. You so, mean Esty and not your dad? Esty and Bill. Uh, right. And um, that really, for the same reason, because well, I, I try to tell, like, it's for the kids, you know, it just, it just bothered My father was not a guy who let anybody make any decisions about his plays other than himself. I mean, he made every single decision. And uh, well, he unfortunately wasn't so he, here to be interviewed, and so yeah, but you know, you know, it, got, we, it got bef- before we switch topics. Can yeah. we talk about the show a little bit? Yes, well, so well let's talk about his I, show. I, yes, I, that's what I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I unfortunately don't watch the show, so uh, but there as are well. themes. We can talk about the themes. We certainly can. Without, go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say I, I've been so out of the loop in terms of show business. I've sort of boycotting show business, but I did recently start binge watching, and I know I'm a little late to the party. Breaking Bad, uh, which is. Um, Really, because I have not it. his show. It's not your show, <laughs> but it is a show, and I am watching it. Well, you know that scene in Donnie Brasco? In Donnie Brasco, when Brasco asks uh, Lefty to move a diamond for him, uh, to middle a diamond, and Brasco l- looks at it and, and he's like, uh, "It's a fugazi," and then Brasco uh, shows uh, Lefty a diamond, and he's like, "You want to see a beautiful thing? Here's a beautiful thing," and Lefty says. That's your beautiful thing. I don't give a fuck about your beautiful thing. Breaking Bad's great show. It's beautiful. I don't give a fuck about your beautiful thing. I'm here to talk about my beautiful thing. Very good. Okay, but but we also are here to talk about my relationship with your beautiful thing. Well, you don't fucking have one, buddy. Yes, but I'm working Make to- a relationship with it, then we're going to chat about it. I think oh, you like great. it, Dan. Anyway, what I'm getting at... <laughs> is the reason I'm watching Breaking Bad. One of the reasons is it's available with a French audio track. Damn, please. Can we talk about his show, please? Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> is yours so, so available? <laughs> with a French, he wants to listen to it in French. French audio track. Tim Donor will come and lay down a French <laughs> audio at the polyglot. We'll give him the episodes ahead of time. You'll pay him, like, what, 25 and a half? No, but Tim's French, yeah, is, not pr- Tim French is no better than my French. I don't think. I, I would like to ask you a question. I know well, okay, that. All right, and now I, I know that when you did Rounders, which was your your first movie, yes, you were a real poker player. Yes, and and you told me about that the last time. Did you have a lot of knowledge and interest in finance? I spent yeah, Dave and I spent like eight years researching around these. We Dave. wanted to first do this, and David Levine is my partner. We tr- started doing this in in like 2007. We prior had to first the crash had an idea right before the crash to do something in the world of hedge funds and had a bunch of meetings, and then the crash happened, and we couldn't do it. And so we still had these contacts. And Why couldn't you people. do it after the crash We happened. were going to do a show set in the world of hedge funds for another network right. al- in 2007. And then after the crash, it became clear that they didn't feel like there was an appetite for it, and we went on to do other shows. Especially other not movies. a likable billionaire. Right. <laughs> and we went on to do other movies, to do movies then. Um, we got Solitary Man greenlit, and I think we just went off and started doing our other stuff. But the seed had been planted for us, and we kept in touch with a bunch of these people. And then when um, we met Andrew Ross Sorkin, who uh, helped create the show with us, co-created it. He wrote Jobs? He wrote the Stephen Jobs movie? No, he's not a movie writer. No, no. no. Um, That's Aaron Sorkin. Oh, Aaron Sorkin. Andrew Ross Sorkin is a financial journalist. He had access to a lot of these billionaires. And so he introduced us. we, We never talk about who we sat with. But we sat with many of the most famous, if you're in this world, hedge fund billionaires. And then with the United States, because the show's half about the United States Attorney in the Southern District. So it's half about the U.S. Attorney and half about this hedge fund billionaire and their world. So what uh, non-obvious insights have you gotten into the financial world and the people in it? Are you I mean, any more sympathetic to them than the average liberal would well, be? Well, if you or? watch the show, yeah, see, if you, I, 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 I really try not to answer those questions because I want, people, I, I want people to watch the show and draw their own conclusions. I mean, all the reviews talk about that what they went into it thinking we were going to do is that, a liberal's mm-hmm. look at this. But a lot of people cheer for Bobby Axelrod, Damian Lewis's I, character. I can, I'll speak to it as a viewer. Yeah. Just um, for one thing... Well, it has some of my favorite actors in it. Damian Lewis is amazing. He was in Homeland. I don't know if you ever watched Homeland, but he was the main character. And is, he Paul, in, is he in uh, a show called, uh, what's that show called? Breaking Bad? <laughs> and Paul Giamatti is in it, who I'll basically watch anything that he does. Someone from Breaking Bad is in the show, though. Is, it, is he? Yes. I don't know. Uh, who is Breaking Bad? Right. His I'm name, only season is, two, so maybe I'm not He's in there. Oh, uh, David Costable is in it. Wags. The guy who plays oh, Wags, Wags in Billions. Okay. He had a really great role um, on... But the, the whole the whole time you're not sure who's who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. 
and the person who should be the quintessential good guy isn't always the good guy and vice versa. And, you know, it gets into um, Bobby Axelrod, who's the, the billionaire, um, who owns the hedge fund. Is It gets into his family dynamic and how they're battling with this, for example, what we were just talking about, how do you raise kids that are given everything? And, and Bobby Axelrod's wife thinks that their, her kids, their kids won't be prepared aren't going to be prepared for the real world if, God forbid, something happened to their lifestyle. Well, look, we're all and not prepared. how would they function? I mean, in a so, way, you talk about giving your kids everything. We're all not prepared if for real adversity because we've all been given everything compared to 99% of the people that have ever walked on this planet. Absolutely Fine, but right. the fact so, that so, these so if, if the government collapses and I have to hunt and kill Brian Cobbleman to compete for... For food, I'm not gonna be able to do it. But good, not good luck trying to take me out right now. I got three guys behind me. <laughs> uh, let let, me, let me ask you a question. Uh, You're talking before about they're, they're, these people become like kings or emperors, and they. What would you say, given your uh, insight now, would be the effect on the, the psychology of Donald Trump having been Donald Trump for 30 years? You know, I I, I think it's, that I can't. I will not say his name into a microphone. But here, here's <laughs> here. Instead, I would say. What I'm interested in also is you look at people who use prosecutorial positions. Like, you look at the other candidates. Look at guys like uh, Chris Christie or look at Elliot Spitzer from the past um, or Rudy Giuliani. People who used positions where they were supposed to be prosecuting for the public good. And then they used these posts for their own purposes as well. To make themselves marquee names. To put themselves in a position where they're uh, able to access a new strata of life. And so I, I think it's really easy to just demonize the capitalist. But what about people who use the government for their own ends, too, who we entrust to, to act only for the people, but who end up acting for the people, but also largely for themselves? Mm -hmm. What about and somebody who wraps up prostitution really, of prostitutes while he's calling prostitutes? Right. right. Oh. Well, no, he's, I mean, uh, disgrazia. I mean, disgrazia. that's Artie Lang might say. What's that? You disgrazia. So, Thank you. So you, you want, you, I, I'm, I'm taken by that uh, you're uh, not, you, you, I mean... I'm not going to talk not, about that guy. You're they do that with. So, I'm not going to talk about that guy. But it, okay, I mean, I can't force you, but only to, right. say, to say that uh, it's it's something that everybody in the country is talking about. And I'm not asking you to say anything positive about him. I'm just curious what because I well, I think that one of the big things that he's suffering from that we're all <laughs> that we're all suffering is just that it sickens your soul to have everybody tell you yes, yes sir, yes sir, and just, uh, for for 30 years. You just it, you you can't be you can't come out of that normal. Uh, yeah, I guess the only well, thing I will say is to you. He's dragooning. I'm not going to get dragooned no. into this conversation. <laughs> I will say that yes, I think that if you you can ask the same. I feel like um, the only name I will call him by is uh, like Prince Trumperdink, because to me he is <laughs> so much like Trumperdinkle. He's so much like <laughs> uh, Prince Humperdink <laughs> in no in 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 oh, uh, Princess, Princess Bride. Bride who right. can't be insulted and gets right, easily right. so <laughs> offended and he's like I I always think everything is a trap that's why I am still alive that's he's uh, you know so we we can uh, let's here let's move on from that conversation and I just hope that he loses uh, all obviously all Brian in true Hollywood liberal fashion is feeling the burn I mean that <laughs> no, we I can say so. I support Hillary. Oh really? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to vote. I, I I'd say 85 percent likelihood I'm going to vote for Hillary if, as well. I mean, if Bernie Sanders is a Democratic nominee, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders right. too. But it's personal choice, and I don't really talk about politics a lot. Did you I tweet see, about you know uh, sometimes, but not not really specifically. Did about you politics. see that thing today or yesterday where she called out Bernie Sanders for not supporting her on health care, and then they find a picture of Bernie Sanders standing and right behind her, and and that, but that's not even the worst of it. And then her campaign. Uh, when they ask her campaign to comment on it, the campaign says, yeah, see, exactly. He's standing behind her, not with her. Look, I thought oh. the truest thing she said in that debate the other night when she said she's not a natural politician, I think it's true. She's, she's bad at campaigning. She that's, has a hard time connecting, but she's, a bright, she's an incredibly bright person. Yeah, yeah. And I think highly she's competent, I would say that. capable and competent. And I oh, hard oh, to find that on the other side. She's capable and competent, although I, I will warn or say that uh, although I, I think she's the only grown-up to vote for, although I would vote for Kasich, I think, but I don't um, That That element that she seems to be missing is important to be a, the, the best lead. president you can be. I mean, that, sure. that she is quite tone-deaf. I don't want to miss an opportunity for talking about politics to say, though, that I'm good buddies with Craig Mazin, who was Ted Cruz's freshman year roommate at Princeton, and gives has, <laughs> has gone on record that... Uh, and had told all of this of this uh, of us this a long time ago that um, he's on record as saying 
Ted Cruz is the single worst human being he's ever met. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I, I do, I tend to believe that that's true. I, 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 don't, I, I find, him, I find him scarier than Trump, than Trump or Dinker or whatever. Uh, he whose name we shall not mention. Violet, I, you know, I, I'm really fascinated by this this billionaire show now, and, you I, have and to I really want to see it. And I, there's actually, I don't. You said you you have a hand in some of the in most of the cast, all of the casting, because Dan Soder has a well, sort of uh, Dan. Is that, yeah, his part content. Yeah, I mean, we can't. Yeah, Dave and I cast. I mean, the whole okay. show. And I saw I Jay mean, in an episode. Yeah, there's a couple well, of comedians. And, that Dan have, Soder. Um, I, Dan Soder and I met Dan's first day in New York City Oh, uh, at an open mic uh, at a club uptown. And um, we've been friends ever since. And we, Dan got down to the final three people to play Connerty oh. and didn't get that part because when Toby Leonard Moore came in, it was over. Right, of there course. There was three people, but that was the final three before Toby Leonard Moore auditioned. And then when Toby Leonard Moore uh, auditioned, I called Dan. I was like, dude, you, you can't. And, and he understood. He's the best. But he's, Dan Soder's not a hot show. Like, he's a real friend of mine for a mm. long Like, I love that kid. And, um, He's really talented actor. He's, he's good a natu- in the show. He's, he's naturally an actor, and um, his yeah, it, he's in most of the episodes of the season. I uh, I had an interesting week last week. I was riding in a cab and I found someone's phone, which is a weird experience to find someone else's phone. First thought immediately, do I keep it? <laughs> nah, it's a droid. This guy's got it tough enough. <laughs> Not gonna kick a man when he's down. Uh, the phone was ringing when I found it, and it kind of threw me off. I didn't know what to do. So I just picked up the phone real quick. I was like, hey, if you want your cell phone, I'm going to leave it at the front desk of the Warwick Hotel. And then I dropped off the phone feeling like I had done a good deed. But I forget how creepily deep my voice is. (laughs) So whoever made that call got two rings in and then just heard, if you want your cell phone, it'll be at the front desk of the Warwick Hotel. (laughs) Who is this? If I don't hear from you in the hour, I'm going to start sending pieces. <laughs> Case first. It's my baby! I truly believe some... It's weird to me that in this country, some people treat their cell phones better than their grandparents. It's mean. I love my grandma. She's awesome. She's 86. She bakes. We play gin rummy together. She talks about death with an ease that rattles my bones it's creepy have you ever talked to a really old person about death it's just facts no emotions it's the closest i've ever came to interviewing a serial killer grandma what happened to rose next door she's gone did she move or you're never gonna find her Kill Rose? Gin. Oh, you sneaky man. You're so good at gin. I find it weird that it, in this country, old people are treated so poorly for the main reason that they're not good with technology. We have all this brand new technology in the last 12 years. Old people aren't good at it, so we think it's okay to just disrespect them to their face. It's like, you don't have a Gmail account, Grandma? How do you not have a Gmail account? I was born during the Great Depression. I remember when straws were invented. My Nana doesn't know how to turn on an iPad. Nana, how can you not turn on an iPad? Oh, um, hey kid. I used to bang a guy that killed Nazis. <laughs> but good job with those angry birds. <laughs> but it's just funny because I know you're a friend and you know family of the Comedy Cellar, and then you just see comedians in some of these episodes. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I have been coming here when I was 20. Alan Havy, who is I call Uncle Al, and who's one of the people who's been at this club since. The be, you know, the beginning. The beginning. Yeah. Havy used to bring me, and I would hang out a lot of weekends and just watch set after set after set with your dad and with Esty. And um, I saw this incredible run. I'd say from when I was like 21, 22, 23, I was here, you know, almost every weekend at a, at some time. 
because I was an A&R guy in the music business, so I would go out and see bands, and then in between, I would just come and find Alan and hang out with everybody, and the table wasn't here then. You would have to just stand in the back downstairs, uh, yeah. right? And back then, we would no, stand awesome. in the back, and we're up on the stairs or something. We're going... And uh, there were plenty of seats the then too. But yeah. no, look yeah. how many even peripheral careers the comedy seller um, hugely influenced, influenced my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, crazy. Uh, it reminded me of something, and that's why for me it's so fun that my son's been coming here since he's seventeen or eighteen, and Noam's always yeah. taking care of him because it's like this. And Haby and Gary Goldman, who are like family, would bring Sammy by all the time. So yeah. You had said in the Rick Chrome documentary that Bill and Rick, Bill yes. Crowther, were the the, the best. MCs you would have to this day you'd ever seen first by far I think and I don't think anybody's close because they also invented a method of doing it so I I say, there's, there's a Vanity Fair article this week you can look it up the, the author's here about the oral history of the comedy seller so Brian what Brian is saying plays into that go ahead I haven't yeah I, they sorry. just showed me I haven't read it yet I'm Brian how are you you too so, so go ahead sorry so no Bill Grunfest was was doing a meta version of hosting a, sh- a club show what right? do you mean by a meta version meta meaning it was commenting on itself you know, metafiction, which is fiction that's aware that it's fiction, right? That in so to me, Grunfest wasn't just trying to get laughs like the guy at Dangerfields would have been. Grunfest was also in an, uh, aware of the irony of being in that position of moving the thing along. It was just he was hyper bright, and he would do this corny shtick with Rick, knowing it was corny shtick and that it was funny because it was corny, and that was so in the zeitgeist of the time. But it also was really elevated, and I remember being right at the age. Uh, that was of the sort of MTV generation and just feeling like those guys were really speaking to me and to us. Bill, and I remember the conversations about this and, and he, it's one of the reasons that he got on with my father very well. Bill recognized the appeal of nostalgia. That, there's, that, is it, that, that nostalgia is always appealing. There's always this time in people's past that they just enjoy. And he would do the TV theme songs and all that stuff. And the comedians would roll their eyes. And the audience loved it. And we loved it. We were yes. I mean, I adored it. It was my favorite thing. Get, get, to, get to Green Acres. You yeah. Know? I mean, and the way that they would do it. Like, he knew it was an absurd thing to do. Yeah. Whereas, like, the old Borch Belt comedian would do it just for the laugh. Bill knew it was a silly thing to do. And he enjoyed tweaking the comedians. And he liked getting the laugh with, like, the kind of old hoary joke. That was funny to him. And if you were hip to what he was doing, it was hilarious to you. Um, and that he made Rick cool and fun, too, was also um, absurd and great. So, <laughs> I mean, to me, yeah, that was a very special, I, I, magical time. I agree with you a thousand percent. I remember at the time, Bill, Bill was the guy who started the, uh, the, was the first MC of the Comedy Cellar and had the initial idea for the Comedy Cellar and booked the room at first for, for a long time, like six, seven years, right? And very quickly in his career, he didn't want to work during the week anymore. He would right. work just weekends. He booked the whole week. And I remember we were all like, no, it's just not the same when you're not here, Bill. It's just not the same. Most MCs, even to this day, in the end, they want to do time. They want to be comedians. Bill wanted to keep the room happy. Yes. He didn't, he didn't, he was putting, he put, and that's really what a Masters of Ceremonies is, right? You're right. Jessica Pilot is the uh, comedy super fan who uh, has written an, uh, an article in this week's Vanity Fair online called An Oral History of the Comedy Seller. And she got some big names such as John Stewart and Ray Romano to talk to her. And uh, what do you, uh, thank you, you for wanna, having me. My pleasure. You <laughs> want to tell us how did you get John Stewart, who's, very uh, interview shy to do this interview. Well, John, I learned, is a true comedian. He's going back to his roots as a stand-up comic, and he loves, he truly loves comedy. So everyone wants to talk to John, but John happened to want to talk about stand-up. And so I reached out, and I got the interview. Um, That's pretty much it. Speaking of John Stewart, he does say something I find interesting. This is a your article's an There's oral history. So, yeah, I want to say... I just got an urgent message. You guys continue. This is uh, okay. the first... I, I have to... This is, this is an emergency. Excuse okay. Okay. Let's... You interviewed a bunch of comics, and they gave their... They talked about the comedy seller. That's what the article is. That's right. Right. So, so I just want to say, John Stewart... Actually, it's too bad Noam's not here, because I did have a question for him, but he says... John Stewart says, I will always be grateful that Esty let me work... Esty's the person who books the comedy seller. That Esty let me work there when I sucked. Uh, when you are running a business, that is not the greatest choice to make. thats I don't know when that was, but that is certainly no longer the case that Esty will let you work here when you suck. He seems to think that he sucked when he 
was starting out when he was speaking working, the microphone. What I really loved when I was talking to him for this article um, is that he just felt so honored to even have the opportunity to do stand up here. I mean, he was grateful. He said, of all the things, you know, that he's most proud of, he said it's all. He always looks back and thinks about doing stand up, and that really stood out to me. And. I mean, I think we find that with a lot of the comedians that we talk to on the show, and it's, and even more so with the ones who have kind of made it big or gone on to do other things, they they always hold this place for stand-up in their hearts that is just, you know, they, like well, nothing... Well, some of them do. Ray Romano is fairly... That doesn't do a lot of stand-up anymore. Ray Romano does not have the same zest for stand-up that Chris Rock does, that Louie does. He doesn't, and, he, and, he, and he's told me as such. He, he doesn't do that many spots, and he doesn't have the same zest for it that those other guys itch. do. I have to go, oh my God, i got to do a spot. A lot of these guys I talk to, they have to do comedy every night. They mm-hmm. have to go back, even if it's once a month, once a week. But with Ray, you know, I guess it's a little different. We had just talked when you were dealing with your emergency about how Jon Stewart said that Esty let him go on even when he sucked. But the point is a valid one. Is that He never old, sucked. The point is a valid one, and I think you have an overly romantic view of early Jon Stewart, by the way. That's my uh, that's my guess. That's well, my guess. Because once somebody because you know, Noam has a tendency is once you become famous, you were and always were a genius. Yeah, but I I I have like I I took certain steps back then that I wouldn't have taken if you, like I I remember going up to that guy and starting to talk to him and like thinking like oh I want to be friends with that dude he's hilarious. All right, okay. I all remember right. Bill Brunfest telling me this guy's going to be a big star. Well, we all I'll say this everyone yeah. knew that because of anyone doubt, But I, you, know, you, you, you didn't that? know. Come on, you didn't. You can't predict this shit. Nobody knew uh, that. I, you, I just tell uh, you, you. I can. I just tell you. I just tell you. What's the matter with you? All I did was predict. I'll tell you what's the matter. All I did was tell you what somebody said to me. Yes, are but you, are you, are you're, telling, you're telling it like it's fact, and the point is, it's probably said that Hold about on. a lot of people. Let me tell you I was wrong were, about several of them, of the, but the one guy that made it, he said, I said he was going to make it. People thought I was going to make it, and look at me now. Nobody ever said that, Dan. You know, I'll tell well, you. Somebody said people it. can tell, actually. Very often, people can tell. People like Noam and Esty can tell. Noam cannot tell. That's uh, I can tell. Often you I, I can think tell. I, can, I well, think I'm starting to. Nah, lucky no, lucky for you, tell. I can't tell. I'll tell you. you, know, you. Go. Tell. No. Dan Soder calls me. Dan Soder calls me one day uh, after Michael Che had been at this club for two weeks. Oh, yeah. Don't say Michael Che in front of Dan. No, <laughs> Dan Soder called me. Mike, Sam, you remember this too? Because uh, Dan Soder called and he goes, "You got to come down to the cellar." I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because there's a guy here who's about to become the biggest comedian anywhere." This guy, Michael Che, Dan goes, I've never seen anything like what happens when this guy walks on a stage. Who else said that, Dan? I don't know who else. I said that. He used to drive you crazy. And he was like, and I know other comedians may say, oh, the joke, but Dan was just like, you got to come see this. I've never seen anything like it. And Dan's a real purist about comedy. And he was just like, I've never seen something happen like what happens when this guy shows up. He's a rocket ship. Watch the rocket ship. Well, a lot of people say a lot of things about a lot of comics. Every now and again, they're right. Right. I don't think you can predict any of this shit, and I think a lot. Dan sometimes would like you to think it's all random. No, it's not all random. Well, then, then well, how do you explain Dan Natterman still in the fucking position he's in right now? Asperger's. I got the best. Asperger's <laughs> explains it. You dude. already <laughs> said, unless they're mentally ill, okay. that's what holds people back. It's the point. Was your it's opening line? Obviously, the Asperger's. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, the you're thing. probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> that's the it difference. Might be what did he say in the beginning? The only reason people don't succeed is if they're mentally ill. I didn't mean it. Show business. This is the one exception well, to the do, rule. Do, do, also, you are more successful, like, the, by your thing about John McEnroe. Yeah. I mean, you're one of the most successful comedians in the world, Dan Natterman. I've said you that. You are too. one of the, you've been on television in a, heavily. You are uh, well-known. You have followers. You have people who like to come see you. And people like you, you're damn it. A, well, Calm down about the Gosh liking. Down. Gosh you darn, people are like you. an actual success. Now, if you by your own definition of success... You're a failure. That has to do with your parents. But that has nothing to do with the truth of the matter, which is you're a successful comedian. Sometimes it's as simple as the way the light hits somebody's eyes. Like, you you know that when you do what I do for a living. Sometimes you put the camera on somebody, and they start saying the words... And it's just magic. You give me half an opportunity opportunity on film, and I'll show you. I'll show you. Can you explain to me William Shatner's odd charisma? I can't explain it, but I know him. it's he's, true. What do you think? Tell very, us, Jessica. I think he's wildly charming. 
And it comes across in all the different ways, you think? I think so. I find his charisma to be similar to that man who we shall not speak his name. I thought him like he's, he's kind of the William Shatner of politicians. <laughs> Lord You Voldemort. cannot explain it, but you cannot God. look away. It doesn't matter what he says or whatever it is. Is uh, Do you ever hear he's William Shatner awful. sing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? I love or, it. It's I mean, comedy. <laughs> but comedy it, gold. Just, but you can't explain it. It grips you somehow. You, you find yourself watching. Anyway, Jessica, so you, you wrote this. Did I miss anything more? You wrote this story. Are you getting a lot of feedback about it? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of uh, great feedback. She, she's nervous. You can see her face because she knows I wasn't happy with the story. Which was surprising. Well, it shouldn't have been surprising. Uh, yeah, but a Vanity Fair story about your club? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, was, I wasn't personally happy with the... I'm, because I'm, your father, you felt, got short trip. Yeah, I, I can't believe that that um, that nobody that the either either nobody said or the editors chose to to cut out in the in, under the guise of supposedly an oral history. Right. The main force in the club. Well, ultimately. Well, um, there was an oral it, history of interviews with people. Wait, and, and, and I collected. Let right, yeah, I collected. I collected stories, and I, you know, I. I wrote what I thought was a what I still believe is a great story and ultimately when you hand a story to an editor the editor has to decide what is best for the publication for the readership it doesn't have to be doesn't they don't have any feel any obligation let's get this truthful and correct you're you're doing journalism and you're calling it an oral history and the matter and it's of course, verbatim of course you want it well it's verbatim but but shaped by cutting things and printing other things and if the impression that you leave in the end is not what most people would agree was actually what happened. Is I'm, I'm asking you seriously people, now. Is yeah. it just an entertainment piece? We don't we don't really care if it's accurate or not. Just as long as it's got John Stewart as a big names and it's, it's nice to read. Or do they actually sit and say, "But okay, but are we getting this right?" What do you think? Um, I, don't know. I personally got wrong because all I did well, I just was to, I just told you what was wrong with but it. I mean, specific it, points in the article. Because I'm actually getting a lot of great feedback where a lot of the comics are sharing it and saying, you did a great job, this is wonderful. Everybody likes the article but me. I know. I, I'm not... I'm not because you know, I'm the, the Daily News is going to write it. But I'm I mean, the only one who cares, cares, cares deeply. I would like to read... I would like to... Um, please read this um, quote from Ray Romano about Esty. It's clear. All that's going on is you really, really loved and miss your dad. And your dad was a great man. And all the comics always talk about, in fact, this whole podcast that you do is honoring him. Right. Because yes. he would have these conversations about the world and about what mattered. And this is your way of carrying on his tradition. And you're doing it. And the fact is, there's no way that in her article, where Esty deals with comedians mostly, and where all this stuff happens, that she could ever capture the feeling of an oral history of Manny, which someone should also do. Right. He's a remarkable man who deserves a big story about him. But of course, sitting in your ch in where you're sitting, Oh my God, this was my dad who built this place out of nothing and believed in Bill Grunfest's dream right. and then made it his own. There's no way that an oral history designed for the readers of a general interest magazine like Vanity Fair are going to focus on an Israeli man who's passed away and isn't here anymore. It's not possible. So she could only honor your father by singing the praises of this club that's now your masterpiece. And by the way, well, I, I appreciate your I can't do that. I, I, I got to leave. I, that was very Brian's nice. Our, I don't, I don't, our favorite okay. guest. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Now, listen, I, I, I think that everybody's trying to, to gloss over this. What I, what I told, and I didn't want to talk about it. I think the article is great for the club, and it's, and it's, and you, and you have a way of pulling rabbits out of hats, and I, and I admire you for that. And I meant what I said in our, in our text conversation. That you're still welcome here, and I'm, and I'm everything I said. You know, I'm, I'm very straightforward. But I also said in that text conversation that if my father were alive, uh, you're lucky he's not alive because he would have, he would have. Hit the ceiling. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been, it would have been a different article if he was alive. It would have been different. Been, they, I would have loved to talk to him. It would have been completely him. different. And and in the past ten years of the comedy seller, he it has not. Would, he has you know, not I been think, present. I, quite frankly, Dan, I think you're just being argumentative. I, I really do think you are just being argumentative no, because because if, if unless you you can say one thing, I don't think the oral history of the comedy seller needs to actually indicate what really happened. If that's your position, then you can say that. Well, but you, as it, well as anybody, knows that 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 the dominant figure in this place was my father, and uh, that the article does not. To re but she's, she's indicate that is can Nick, cannot, he's getting cannot, 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 spoke to that. Somebody might have, but the article, the reader does not come. So it, it's as if you want to. 
do a, the, a, a, a story. Lot of, a lot an of oral, guess what? An oral history of okay. the Actually, uh, wait, wait, administration. Wait, wait, you're talking over each other. Do I, and and, I, I, and I, frankly, no, no, no. And actually, I think you were just being argumentative. Well, that's and not how I see it. He, she's getting quotes from comics. This is what they spoke of. No, I and a lot no. of these comics weren't here when your father was here. Uh, most Mark of them, most and, of them or, were. Or they, or they the were. Overwhelming, I, the overwhelming number were. And, Rachel and, Feinstein was and, barely and working on. here. Hold, let me just, and Ray is a per, and Ray's perfect example. First of all, just just because said, Ray invited me and Ava and Esty to his, and flew us out to his wedding. Mark Maron spoke of your father. Just, just, just so, so, just, but. And no one so, told me that. I know, but uh, I'm just saying. So, but the the fact is that Ray and my father, I mean, and Esty is everything that 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 everybody says she is. You know, uh, Ray and my father had a very very close and special relationship. There is no way that Ray would tell you uh, that uh, it, even when what you guys cut out that quote it was all Esty. In that context, it makes more sense about the gatekeeper who puts you on on the stage. Which is why. But the way you guys cut it, it's as if. That as if that she she the owner is not even important to the club. That's, I don't think so. Well, no. if you cut out one sentence and say, "Listen, uh, she's not the owner, but it, she might as well be. It's all her," and you don't put any context in that. No, that there is no way that someone's not going to think that the owner, that one of the biggest stars in the world, is saying that the actual owner of the club was irrelevant. That's the plain meaning the, of those words. No, if it's no, all somebody, if it's all somebody. It's nothing. But you're, you're, you're getting as crazy as I was getting when you said how all these these comics are great. And, am, I, am I being crazy? You're, you're being crazy, yeah. Because I mean, it's, a, it's, well, a, it's a fun you know piece. What, Dan, it's, a it's a fun piece, piece and it's my love letter. It's it's a, a, you're not supposed to talk when other people are talking. I started talking and she interrupted me. She's the guest. You know what? We have a great friendship, Noma, and this fucking podcast is ruining our friendship and, it's, and I don't think it can continue with us both host. You know, <laughs> this you podcast is not big enough for the both of us. You have downgraded me from fucking co-host to fucking your fucking sidekick and that doesn't work for me. Sorry. You told me when we started this that, you know, most people, comics, would use this as an opportunity, wouldn't do anything with this opportunity, but some people would take it and run with it. You don't allow me to take it and run with it because I you can, run it the way you want, and it doesn't work for I me. I can only say that if we were talking about a subject which regarded your parents and that you were upset about, I would let you speak. Go ahead, Jessica. You've been speaking you the whole say. time. We invited Brian. I invited Brian. It was Kristen's idea. You took the whole fucking car. I actually left the table for 10 minutes. Because of, uh, because of unforeseen Boys, circumstances. Yes. Let's not fight. Go ahead, Jessica. I'm just saying, I love you, I love our friendship, I but this, this podcast is not good for our friendship. Okay. Here's my uh, larger point, is yeah. that I have over 65 pages of interviews, and I wanted to publish them all, and that was the whole idea when I started to put together this article. I, I talked to an editor at HarperCollins, I talked to an editor at Simon Schuster, I said, hey, you know, I would love to do an oral history project, whether it be an audiobook or a book. Um, I really want to do an audiobook and hear these stories, these great stories that come from the seller. And editor Harper Collins said to me, "Hey, you know what you should do? You should write an article. Start with that and see how that goes, and see how much work that is, and see if you could pull that off. And then we'll talk." Um, there's so much more that I wanted to include. There's so much I wanted to include all of it. I know. I know it. you love the place. It's not about, it, but really, but I love all of it. And I'm biased because the things that I find fascinating are not interesting to some other people. I, I hear what you're saying, and I know your intentions were pure, and I am not upset about the article. I think the article's great for the club, and I don't want to appear ungracious or ungrateful or, or, or arrogant or, or anything. I, I, I reacted to it the way I react to it. I can't help it. That's, it's beyond my control to react any other way. And when you asked me about it, I had a choice of... Uh, telling you uh, uh, something that wasn't true, or telling you how I felt, so I told you how I felt, and and what else can I do? You know, I mean, and I can't apologize for telling you how I felt, especially because I feel that I can, I can show uh, good objective grounds for why anybody who loves his father would feel that way, and that's about it. And that's I, all I have to say I, about it. And, Go I, ahead. and I appreciate that, and that's one reason why I love this club so much, because it's an honest place. Yeah. All the comedy you see downstairs, you know, no no one's holding back. You know, this is a great place for conversations, so thanks Now, for what about the issue of retweeting the article? Oh, yeah. Because uh, Jessica was upset. She told me that the seller did not retweet the article, and she told me that, and I was shocked. I figured... It was an oversight, and that will get done soon. Now, of course, I have more insight after hearing you speak of why I'm assuming you did not retweet the the article at the Comedy Cellar uh, I, Twitter I, page. I, I didn't retweet the article. I didn't say not to retweet. I told Liz I want to talk to her about it first because uh, I, 
because there was another comic who was very upset about the article who, who wasn't included. Uh, this is a famous person? No. And, uh, but, but somebody quite important. Is this Dan Natterman? I don't want to say. I'm not going to say. I'm uh, kidding. It wasn't me. No. And, uh, <laughs> Although and, I did wonder for a second why I wasn't. And anyway. I was wondering whether I wanted to write something of my own, uh, not attacking you, uh, just uh, feeling what I, was, what, what I felt had been left out of the article to accompany the tweet. And that's what I told Liz. And, you know, the day's gotten away from well, me. Well, remember, but you know, it, if it makes well, you feel... If this, you, I don't think this was designed to be a comprehensive... It's being tweeted all over the place. It's not yeah, like, I mean, and we, daily, don't, we don't have that many followers. Daily News is going to write about it. Paper Magazine's going to write about it. Uh, every comedy blog, Huffington Post, has, has written about it. Uh, Norton, this morning on Sirius, he shouted out Colin Quinn... Um, I really think the biggest biggest uh, problem with this is the title. (laughs) Because I think that that's really what's bothering I think it Uh, should not have been called an oral history of the comedy cellar. How about about that? Because How about about if it was part one? It's not a comprehensive history. It's not comprehensive. It's not designed to be. One second. History does not involve the opinions of only one group of people who are involved in that history. And this only has... Um, quotes from comedians for obvious I mean for readership reasons I get it but I I see what's bothering you about it but I think you're there's a mismatch there has anyone here ever written for a magazine so that's what I'm saying I understand why this has to look the way that it looks I interviewed over 50 people for this article Mm -hmm. and yeah with all due respect and I'm not trying to suppress the article I'm having you on the and I appreciate that on the show and and, and I spoke about before you came on I didn't say anything did I say anything negative about the article before she came on here nope no nobody cares about the problems that magazine writers go through nor should they people are being written about and they care that they're being written about fairly and with with balance and perspective. Nobody, no, nobody's gonna say, "Well, but she, you know, she's hard to be a magazine writer, so she can write whatever she wants about me or my subject." Nobody cares. It's it's none of my concern what what your problems are. Although I, it, it's relevant to me only in the sense that I believe you when you're saying that your heart was pure, and that and of course that does matter because I thought you were. If you thought you were doing it on purpose, I wouldn't say you're still welcome here. I, I know. I, I, I think I'm seeing this exactly for, the, for what it was. I get what you were doing. I just can't be happy with but, but isn't your the impression that it leaves. And, 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 uh, and, and that's it. You know, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not uh, isn't your beef with the comics that you quoted? I mean, Ray Romano said, Esty. No, but even, even, even that quote from Ray is, 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 is a different. Listen. There's, I know Ray. Yeah. I mean, we should, you could ask him. There is no way. If, 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 you told what, Ray, what Ray if you told Ray that I said, you know what the way that quote reads, Norm was unhappy. Was was, you, you, you have contact with him, right? Yeah. You said Norm was a little hurt because he felt like it meant, it meant that his father wasn't important. Well, first of all, you're going to get two pages from Ray saying, oh, no, Manny this, Manny that, Manny that. I know he didn't mean that. I know he didn't mean it that I, way. I don't question is, why didn't you or Vanity Fair know he didn't mean it that way? And that's what bothers me. Well, I how personally would, didn't read it that way. You know, when somebody, sa- when, when somebody says something, Give me another you, you take, when somebody it. says a quote, you, you take them at the face value of but the they quote. S- they took out that sentence what, and put it not in context of what he was talking about. Well, what was he talking about I, that would have changed? I don't think the, we misquoted him. I, I didn't say you misquoted him. I said you, you took it out. But what, what did was, Ray Romano say? It. He was talking about Mitzi being the now. And he, he was talking about And also, you know, you know, he was being nice to Esty because Esty's not the owner. And she, you say something. When somebody's in a lower position, you butter them up. You say something nice. Obviously, I, the I, owner is more important. I have no problem with what Of course, he's being, being nice said. to Esty because he's... Dan, what are you doing? I'm, I'm not criticizing Ray. I know he's not being... I know he's being nice to Esty. What I'm saying is... That as the the owner of the place and and have and the son of the guy who, who built it, if there's an oral history and something as auspicious as Vanity Fair magazine, I would like him to shine through since well, he deserves to. How the fuck can you not understand did, did, that? Did, well, what did Ray say about Manny? That was not. Doesn't matter what anybody said. But if he didn't well, talk about him, he didn't talk about him. The point is that in the end. Someone will read this, and no one will say, "Wow, man!" They'll, they'll, they'll think different things. Right. And how can I be happy about that? And why should a journalist say, "Yeah, I get you," but That's you know, I'm quote. not really in this business right, to right. really give this people was the, not the, the actual impression. And maybe the title insane. was misleading or not a most appropriate title. But this was not designed to be a comprehensive history of the comedy teller. It was right. designed to be quotes from comics and their impressions of the comedy teller. These are the quotes that she. This is just a glimpse. Got. These are the quotes of these, the larger project. Are these roughly the quotes that you got, or were you suppressing? Pages and pages of quotes about Manny. You also get quotes about what you ask about. 
we have a ton about Manny, and that's that. There. Where is it? Where is it? Some of it did not seem fitting for this for this article. Where's any of it? Just that he, that he had a comedian table. That Nick DePaul that Nick DePaul asked for a comedian table, and he agreed to it. That's it. That's no, the only thing not, in there. No, actually. I have. I can pull it up. I, I read here quite a few Manny quotes yeah, in this article. Mark Maron. That he told Mark Maron to go fuck himself, or something like that. First of all, I don't. I think it's entirely unfair for you to even start to begrudge Noam his feelings on this article. You have no place whatsoever. And here I usually side quotes. with you, but he. You here cannot have him. Well, he, he, he feels the way he feels. And I, and feel the way I, whoa, whoa, I feel the way I feel about certain things, and Noam comes at me, and rightly so. But not, and, in, a, not in your he, personal... He can say Marina something Franklin, personal part of like what that. makes the comedy seller gold is that it's always about comics first. Comics first. Manny believed in the craft of comedy and respected it a lot. That's why the table says comedy seller, comedians only. Because okay. he knew that was important, that the comics had a place. And that's in the article. That's, that's a yep. good one. Yeah, Go that's a good Next one, one Esty. If we're busy and every table was taken, Manny would say, quote, I don't care. That table's for the comics. We will lose business, but I don't care. We cannot sit uh, diners there. It was a very important table, a famous that, table. That, that's what I recall. That it was really, that the only thing was just how he started John comedy. John Stewart. Table. It was art and history and music and literature and arguments, and the back table was just a great place to hang out and talk, not necessarily about comedy, about war and destruction. It was crazy. Yeah, but he doesn't mention my father's name. But anyway. Uh, uh, no. That's when... I listen. It is what it is, I, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. What can I tell you? I don't think you're wrong. I, I don't think I you're think I, I, I your think feelings. I think and I, and I, I, I respect my, your feelings. I think my father and anybody who cared about him would agree with me. I, I, you just shouldn't, I should I take that back, guys, because you don't you shouldn't have to care about him. You should anybody who's a, who's objective about he, anybody who was here. I like I said, I know that Ray, if he felt that that's the way the impression that it gave. Would say, oh no, I didn't mean that at all. That's that I, I couldn't be further from the truth. I know, Ray. Can we have somebody yeah. else on that read the article that might? I'd like another perspective on this because I I think I'm I, you know I I can't imagine why you feel this way, but uh, maybe I'm we, insane. We're out of time. I, I would, who, um, who do you want to bring over? Uh, I'd like. Did anybody read the article on in Vanity Fair about the comedy seller? And would like to mention a few words about it. Did you read yeah. the Vanity Fair article? I did. Yeah. Can uh, I ask you a question about it on the air? This is Jim Norton, everybody, from Serious Raw Dogs, Opie and Jimmy Show. This, is, this was my take on the article. I felt that it did not properly... It's oral history of the comedy seller. Someone would read that and not have any idea that the main driving force behind the club was Manny. That it dismissed him. They took a quote of Ray out of context and said, Esty's not the owner, but she might as well be. It's all Esty, which he didn't mean it that way. Yeah, of course not. He meant and it with love. And, and there's a, there's, my father's mentioned only about creating the table. And, and, and as, as you know, he made every decision here. So that's why. Yeah, but I think that if that's the truth, it wasn't an intentional thing. I didn't like, say it was intentional. No, no, no. But I mean, like one of those things is we would all talk about Manny. But I think that like when you're looking at the oral history, man, you know, for, for people who didn't know Manny or understand his impact because they weren't here, it's just like mentioning... Lucian Hold at the comic strip. To the comedians, we know the difference. We understand Manny. He's one of the most important people I've ever known in, in comedy, in my career. Well, you think you might have somebody in that article saying that? But they may have said it. They may have said it, but it they didn't did make it, it, and they had to edit it down. And when they're taking stuff out, they're probably not thinking that he's as important as he is because they didn't live it. Like, if a comic wrote that, Manny would have been, you know... Front, front and center. Can, can I ask what things That's were said point. about Manny that were not included in the article? Uh, how, how much was said and how, how, mu how much could have been different about the article if it were edited differently in terms of Manny's contribution, and, and, given the quotes that you were given? Um, I can't really speak to that because there was just too much. I'd have to go through the transcripts, but nothing really felt fitting for this particular article, and I will say that. Nothing just felt right. Uh, nothing, you know, Marin went on for a long time with his whole arguments, you know, and I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. It's just getting boring at a certain point. I don't want to include all this anger. Uh, so I, you know, you know what I mean? Like, or there was, there was lots of praise. There was lots of love, which I, I did include and I did my best. Okay. And I pushed for it. You know, I'm always pushing for, you know, what I want. And when you work with a publication, when you work I, with an editor, I, you have to... I'm going to say again, I know yeah. it was a labor of love. Always. I know it's good publicity for the club. You're welcome here. I didn't intend to, to belabor any feud with you. Every, everything I wrote to you is true. I cannot take pleasure in the article because that's my father. 
and it's not, but, and, it, but, and it doesn't, it doesn't relay what he actually did, and that his great accomplishment here is now being written about as him as an asterisk, and and that's painful for me. But Noam, as you know, this is just a part of the larger project. It's so a, this is just a glimpse. Just, can I criticize you? Yeah. You should. I think at this point. In, you, you keep kind of changing the subject. What you should say is, I get you, you're I right. Did. I did. Next time, I'll try to be more, I'll, I, you know, maybe if I'm you, I'm like, you know what? I got so caught up in my article, maybe I didn't properly consider the other side. I, I said to them, you were tone deaf. That's what I like. You, I was surprised that you were surprised. Like a, a more sensitive person, less caught up, would have, would have realized, uh-oh, is he going to like this? It doesn't even mention his dad. You Can know? I ask you a question about yeah. that? Did you have final edit or did the no, publication? No, I don't. The part, part of the problem is when you submit something, and when I write articles for time, I always want final edit. If you can get it, you can get it. Right. Uh, but a lot of times they'll remove things. When they have names like John Stewart, yeah. and they can put a piece about Manny Dorman, and the editor's looking at, hmm, I have a thousand words. Do I want to put a, a, a piece about Manny Dorman who, I don't know who he is, or do I want to put another quote by Dave Chappelle or whoever right. it was? Again, I didn't, that's get, to, an I didn't get to see. I couldn't sleep. I was. I was. But if that was I, the case, wait. she could have just. She would have said to me, "You know what, Noam? You're right. I was pushing for the same thing. Oh, okay. I'm with you." You know, well, then it wasn't my I fault. I'd be all oh, okay, Jessica. But you, you know, know what? I've learned over the years as a writer, as a producer, that I have to sometimes just say, "You know what." I'm happy with this, and you have to can't please them all, and I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I couldn't sleep for a week because I didn't know what was going on. I saw the last edit, and they said, well, it's going through copy now. I didn't know what the title was going to be. I didn't even know what the headline was going to be, and I, Sunday night, I was sweating. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, what's going to happen when I wake up Monday morning? What's it going to be? And then I... You know, and then then it all happened. I get it. I, I really do get it. I just... I, I told him before he came, I said, no, but no matter what... I reacted to it the way I reacted sorry, to it. I can't help it. Yeah. And I, I had a choice of either lying to her and saying, oh, sure. it was great, or telling never, her this is how I Never, never lie to me. I know, but I didn't, I didn't ball her out. Or right. I was, yeah, I was yeah, careful yeah. to say to her, listen, yeah. I get it. You're not, we're not fighting. You can come here like you yeah, always yeah. did, you know. And I meant it. I really meant it. I'm not, you're not persona non grata. Yeah, yeah. I'm not bitter with right. you. No, I'm no. just telling you how I react to it. I appreciate your honesty. I always yeah. do. Don't forget, too, that there's so many, a lot of comedians have died since Manny, too, like, you know, we've lost so much. of That table is gone. It feels like he's he's grouped in with Dre Giraldo, and and with Patrice. You know what I mean? And, and these guys that we were a huge part of that. I had twenty. Only name too, but I mean right. a huge part yeah, of that yeah, yeah. for me experience. And, and there's just a lot of them now are gone. It's, it's almost really sad for me to talk about Manny because then I think about that that whole time. It's like fuck, man. I, I enjoyed it and I wish I loved it as much as I should have when it was happening. Wish you appreciated it at the more. Time. Yeah. That's always the way it is. I'm, I'm more of a post-Manny phenomenon, ultimately, in terms of I, I started working here when That's because his last words were over my dead body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I became more of a... <laughs> Touché. But I became more of a, a regular here in the post-Manny years. Um, so I don't have quite that same, uh, those same feelings as, as, uh, as Jim does. Uh, in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's just what your experience was. You know, he's the only guy that could have hold court with a bunch of comedians. No one else could do that. I mean, comedians can't do that with each other. And John and spoke to that a lot. He would sit down and literally talk about fucking Palestine and, and, and subjects that anybody else would be, shut up, and we everyone listened to him. He had an amazing gift for that, and he was funny. So the comedians really loved him for that. But I, I don't think that that was a slight. I, it, it's almost like that would only be a slight if the person who wrote it was here and understood that from seeing it. Um, you know, like like Richie Tinkin is at the comedy, uh, the comic strip. Comic strip, and a big part of the comic strip. But if you wrote an article about the comic strip and only mentioned a little bit of Richie Tinkin, it wouldn't bother me because he didn't have an impact on me personally. Um, that would only bother me is if everything was included that the comedian said, and they didn't talk about Manny or mention him. Then I'd be like, what the fuck? But they, but but they did talk about him and right. it got cut out. Yeah. But but some of it got some cut out. We don't know. I don't know exactly cuts. how much there was right, right. and we, how much of this it, is. Get, this got. We got to move on. This, but, I, I, as, I, as Jessica okay. said, though, Mark Myron spoke about him, but Mark has a lot of anger. Yeah. yeah. I just internally so, realized you know. that this is the point where people are like, enough of this already. Okay. Well, uh, I'm uh, not so sure about that. Yeah, but. I'm sure. Um, okay. we're, anyway, we're, we're way over time. It, uh, Thank you for having Jessica me. Jessica Pilot and Vanity Fair. It is an oral history of the comedy cellar, and everything in there is true. And it has been a, a it, it is a wonderful history. And Jessica, ho Jessica hopes to write a book someday, and we will give her uh, full cooperation on that book. 
All right, that's it, Jim. Thank you. Love of you course. guys. Steve, you, uh, Dan, you want to want to say? Do uh, you have a Twitter, uh, Jessica? At oh Jes- yeah, Je- at Jessica Pilot two one two. Also follow my Instagram, Jessica Pilot, because it's super fun and weird. Okay, Dan. Uh, I would just say that uh, tempers flared during this episode. Oh yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't fun. believe that this is very good for. No, I'm in my friendship. Although we do seem to have an ability after the show is over to just kind of ignore I'm that not, everything. I'm not mad at you. Why are you guys yelling at each other? I heard yelling. Well, it's, yeah. the yeah. usual, screaming. <laughs> it's the usual argument is that, is right that who now. the hell is in charge? And Noam has his vision for the show and I have mine. And those visions are kind of contradictory. And, uh, and you know, Noam sees me as the sidekick who, who speaks when spoken to. And I see myself as the co-host or even the, even dare I say it, the, the, the actual host. But but uh, but no one doesn't see it that way. So I do see it that way. Go ahead. I, I think you want to talk about this now or next. Week? I think sometimes you you're like that, but you're you're not maybe as fluid as I am at keeping the guests talking. Yeah, you yeah, talk I, I, I yourself, don't, right. and that's a problem. And I sometimes cut in because I you're well, you, Brian no, you, do, you, do, you don't cut in. You you take over because you're not you're not interviewing no, no, the you, guests. You, you, you're using you, him you, to talk about yourself. But I I oftentimes will say a word or two about myself because I like to keep this whole thing in a nice cohesive package with themes that are continual that we we look at our lives as comedians and we track them from week to week that gives continuity and that makes this like a reality show and that distinguishes us from many of the other comedy podcasts I've been involved with these difficult partnerships (laughs) I understand (laughs) I understand for hours a day you gotta talk sometimes when you're mad at each other or whatever sometimes you gotta realize that you just perform differently and you gotta instead of both Fighting for one light, you got. It sounds corny, but you got to realize that there's two spotlights, and it's just a way to kind of make them coexist. Because when you're fighting it out for one, eventually it can't. With it can't last that. Especially if you're only talking for an hour a week, you know. You just you perform differently. It's okay. You're 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 you you're you, and it doesn't have to be a boss. You know. We have we're we're, we're 25 minutes over, and, and well, we have we, a hell of an editing you. time. Well, so. but I think well worth the uh, extra time spent. Uh, I don't I certainly agree, Dan. I, I think that I mean I think that that with the last, as 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 I look at this show, the last half hour is exactly what this show needs to be. Dan, and, I love and, you. We have to sign off. We All have right. to. Okay. Good night, All everybody. Right, good night. Thank you.